Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this morning uh, to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, and you'll find this on page 843 in the church Bibles. And this morning we are looking at the the healing uh, of the blind man at Bethsaida. But uh, to set the context, we'll begin our reading back at verse 1. Mark chapter 8. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from, a, come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many basketfuls of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him uh, to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. 
And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. So far in Mark's gospel, we have looked at a number of Jesus's miracles. Uh, We have looked at how Jesus healed a person who was deaf, uh, how Jesus healed someone who had uh, a a flow of uh, blood discharged over many years. Uh, We have heard about how Jesus healed a leper, uh, how Jesus healed a paralytic. Uh, Jesus has even raised someone from the dead. But to this point in Mark's gospel, there has not been any explicit instance of Jesus healing someone that was blind. And this morning, we are looking at uh, one of those occasions where Jesus heals someone uh, of their blindness. And what we want to see is is that because of our blindness, Christ must intervene if we are to understand or to come to a knowledge of the truth. And we want to really zero in on this miracle of healing the blind man at Bethsaida. And we want to look at it in two thoughts. We want to think about the removal of this man's physical blindness in order to secondly look at the idea of removing spiritual blindness. Something that we have been highlighting uh, throughout Mark's gospel is is that the miracles Jesus did uh, were really prophetic sign acts that they were, they were communicating a lesson in doing them. Jesus was not only alleviating the pain and the suffering of an individual, but he was teaching them something about his own work. He was teaching them something about the reality of his person and of the kingdom of God. And so these miracles have a message embedded in them. Uh, and we see that as we look at the totality of scripture. But first, we want to look at this uh, miracle of healing the blind man's uh, uh, suffering. It tells us there in verse 22 that they came to Bethsaida. Bethsaida is mentioned a couple of times in the Gospels. It's the hometown of people like uh, John and Andrew and of, uh, uh, sorry, of uh, uh, Andrew and Peter and Philip, uh, that they were from this hometown. And Bethsaida was on the northern shore of the Lake of Galilee. It was a fishing village. And uh, when Jesus comes here, it tells us that people already have something of an awareness of his reputation. And some people brought uh, to him a blind man and begged him to touch him, that is, to heal him. And as they brought this man uh, to Jesus, it tells us that Jesus took the blind man uh, by the hand and led him out of the village. Sometimes Jesus healed people publicly, and other times Jesus healed people privately. Uh, There is a diversity of the ways in which Jesus deals. There's no one set way in which Jesus brought about his works. Uh, He would work in people in different ways. But what stands out about this miracle is not 
the, the fact that Jesus brought him out uh, of the village to do it, but rather it is the way in which Jesus restores this man's sight, the way in which Jesus uh, heals the man of his blindness. It tells us that after he spit in the man's eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees that are walking. This man had no sight. And now it tells us that this man has some sight. Uh, he sees something uh, in some degree, but his vision is still blurred. Uh, maybe sometimes when you wake up, your vision is blurred. You can't see things as you ought to. You know that something's wrong. Uh, this man didn't see things the way that they truly conform to reality, but instead his vision uh, was still blurry. Maybe you can still remember uh, a commercial that I think was put on by Mothers Against Drunk Driving a number of years ago. Uh, in that commercial, it had, from a first-person point of view, what it looks like to be behind the driver's seat. And so on the screen of the commercial, you would be seeing someone driving through the city, what they would see uh, themselves with their own eyes. And as they drive through intersections and as they turn, you're watching them uh, drive through the city. But the, the commercial, what they did is they would put between the first person point of view and the scene of the city that you're driving in, between that, in the commercial, it would put down one uh, foggy, empty mug of beer. And the effect was is that as you're watching what's happening in the driving around of the city, that mug of beer would make everything blurry. That you would have to look at it through that empty glass that was all steamed up. And the effect of what the commercial was trying to imply was is that when you're under the influence of alcohol, your vision is not what it should be. Your sense perceptions are not reliable. You're not seeing things as you should. And so with successive empty glasses, the person's vision is more and more impaired. And so it was a very effective way of trying to communicate the message that when you're uh, under the influence of alcohol, you're not seeing things as you should. Here, this man has gone from a state of seeing nothing a blindness to now seeing something, but he's not seeing as he should. It's still blurry. There's no clarity. He's seeing people, but he knows those people look like trees, but they're not trees, they're people. Uh, some have highlighted that this kind of suggests that the man had lost his eyesight at some point, but regardless, it's highlighting that he's not seeing as he should see but rather uh, his, his vision is still impaired. And then it tells us that Jesus uh, asks him, uh, th that he had asked him this question. And then afterwards, uh, Jesus uh, laid his hands on him again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. So all of this uh, to bring about uh, the healing of the man. So he healed him. But what stood out about the healing was the way in which Jesus did it. He did it in stages. He did it successfully by degree, where he brought the man from no vision to some vision to complete vision. And Jesus is uh, doing this uh, to bring out something of uh, the man's uh, need of healing and of his own work himself. 
The man's physical state of blindness is actually uh, something that illustrates our own condition by nature. The Bible teaches us that God's word is like a light. It is like a lamp to our feet. It, It actually guides us in the way that we should go. But when we live without the word of God, when we reject the truth, it's like cutting off all source of light. And we're left in the darkness. That's why the book of Proverbs would say that the way of the wicked is a way of darkness. And they don't even know what they're stumbling over. It is to live without reference to light. And so blindness is really failing to be able to enjoy the, what the light exposes us to. It's no longer able to appreciate the reality of the world we live in. But the Old Testament also used the idea of blindness in a figurative sense. It would talk, for instance, of the scenario where a judge would receive bribe money. And if a judge was to accept a bribe, he would deprive the cause of those who were in the right. He would make decisions that impeded justice. But it says in the book of Exodus, when a judge does that, they will be blinded. They are blind uh, in doing that. They no longer live with reference to the truth. And they themselves cannot, they cannot perceive what they're doing and the injustice of it all. They're no longer living in light of what is right. But rather they're living in light of their own desires. And so the scriptures highlight this idea of a person acting as a blind person whenever they don't live in light of God's truth when they don't accept what God's word says, but rather they're living with reference to what they want. And it doesn't have to be a person being a judge and accepting a bribe to be blind. The Bible speaks of people who live in ignorance of the truth, people who live without reference to God as people who are blind, as Paul says in Romans chapter 2. So blindness in the Bible is talking about someone who lives without the light of the truth, someone who does not understand God and his purposes, someone who is living, rather, their own way, devoid of God's truth. And that's why uh, the scriptures highlight that a person can be blind if they are living without reference to God, but a person can also be blind even if they're acting religious. One of Jesus' common designations for his opponents was that they were blind guides. Jesus, on multiple occasions, called the Pharisees blind because they were rejecting, they were living without reference to God's revelation. They were living, resisting Jesus. And so he called them blind. And so blindness actually becomes a very suitable way of describing the human condition because it is highlighting something of a person's failure to live with reference to God, but also the need for God to intervene to fix it. That that blindness is something that is true not just of the judge in the Old Testament, but it is something that is true of the human condition. Whenever we fail to acknowledge God's word as right and good and to live in light of it. One example of that is even something that was written by a person named Bruce Willey. Uh, Bruce Willey was someone who was uh, trying to advocate a certain view of science. And listen to what he says. Uh, He says, uh, 
talking about uh, science, that uh, science must be provisionally atheistic. Atheistic means to not believe in God, to, to reject the idea of God. So he says science must be provisionally atheistic or it ceases to be science. Science must be provisionally rejecting the notion of God or it's no longer science. But what's the problem with that statement? The problem is, is that that statement is not something that you can verify with empirical science. It's not something that you can test by observational science. Neither is it something that is logically necessary. What it does reveal is his commitment to a way of life that as a first principle excludes God from consideration. Science must be looked at without reference to God as, as the starting point that I won't play the game, I won't talk about science unless these rules are accepted. What that is showing is his commitment, his attitude with, refer with reference to God. It's not telling you so much about his view of science. It's telling you something about his attitude towards God. And it's a symptom of a moral attitude that wants to live resisting the acknowledgement of God. That's what blindness is about. It's trying to live one's life and to push God from out of the equation, to live without reference to God. I don't need to think about God, and I can live my own life my own way. So there can be a, a secular view of blindness, where a person refuses to acknowledge God. There can be a, a religious view of blindness, where a person does many things, but none of it is centered around God's revelation in Jesus Christ. That is the human condition. If we're not living in light of Christ, then we are living resisting the light. We are refusing God's truth. And that makes a person blind. But blindness, we were saying, is a suitable way of describing our condition because it's, it's showing something of our, our helplessness. This man was blind. He couldn't do anything to make himself unblind. He, he needed to be healed. But that wasn't something he could fix himself. But the scriptures highlighted that God himself is the healer of the blind. We looked at it before in Isaiah 35. But we also highlighted this morning in Isaiah 42 that it would be the work of the servant of the Lord. When the servant of the Lord comes, he would open the eyes of the blind. That would be the work of God. And so when Jesus heals this man here, he's not just alleviating that man's suffering. But Jesus is also identifying himself as that servant spoken of by Isaiah. He is the one who has come to restore broken, that which was broken. He is to make whole that which was uh, fragmented. And so Jesus here is highlighting something of himself. And in doing this miracle, he is showing himself uh, to be the one who brings a knowledge of the truth to people who are living in darkness. He is showing himself to be the one who leads the people in the way that they should go. So Jesus, in doing this miracle, is highlighting a lot about his own work. He brings knowledge to those living in ignorance. 
He brings understanding to those who are living in resistance to God. And he brings them to a clarity which ultimately gives them joy. In your light, we see light. Jesus is the one who brings light to those who are in darkness as he is communicating in this miracle. But we might be sitting here this morning uh, still thinking about how Jesus does this miracle. We said that the thing that stands out about this miracle is the way that Jesus did it. Why doesn't Jesus heal him immediately? Why wasn't Jesus able to heal him instantly, we might think? But as we think about that question, we have to realize that the reason Jesus heals in two stages here is not because of any limitation or failure on Jesus' part. When you look at all the miracles that Jesus did in the Gospels, this is the only one where Jesus heals in stages. And so when you think of all the other miracles Jesus did, it's hard to believe or to conclude that this has anything to do with a limitation or a failure on Jesus' part. Furthermore, when you think about Jesus' question, he says, do you see anything? Jesus doesn't say, do you see? But he's asking, do you see anything? To draw out something of the partial accomplishment of what has happened. Jesus is showing that this is only a tentative uh, measure that has been attained. And furthermore, we can look at other miracles where Jesus does heal blind people, and he does it immediately. So why doesn't he heal this man immediately? Again, we looked at miracles as sign acts. Jesus is communicating something in his miracles. And when Jesus heals this man in stages, Jesus is showing that the curing or the journey to being cured of spiritual blindness is something that is progressive. It's something that happens in degrees over stages. And that's something that you can see is the lesson in this when you look at the context of Mark's gospel. You remember when Jesus fed the 5,000 afterwards, he was warning the disciples about the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. The Pharisees were being defiant. They were trying to test Jesus. They weren't looking to believe in him, but they were trying to discredit him. And afterwards, Jesus walked away and he was still thinking about that. And he said to his disciples, watch out for them. Watch out that that attitude of self-sufficiency doesn't start to creep into your life and that it starts to bring itself out in the way that you live. When Jesus said that, it missed, the disciples missed it. They started thinking about how they only had one loaf of bread. They were thinking about their physical needs, the physical shortage of food. And so they started talking about it amongst themselves. And then Jesus, you remember, in rapid fashion, started asking them a series of questions, pressing them about their failure to understand. And do you remember one of the questions he asked him? He says, do you have eyes but not see? Jesus was pressing upon the disciples. They don't understand things the way they should. The disciples who followed Jesus didn't have it all together. They themselves had some idea of things, but were still cloudy about what Jesus was all about. And so that question there back in verse 18, having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? 
Do you not understand what all of this is about? And he's pressing them on their own understanding of his miracles and of his teachings. So Jesus was pressing them on these points. His miracle then is showing something of the way in which blindness is removed. And even when you look at the disciples, it's something that happens in stages. You go on and you see what happens next in verse 27. They went on to Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And the three most common answers is that he is John the Baptist, raised from the dead. You remember that's what Herod was entertaining when he heard about Jesus. There is also the view that he is Elijah, the great prophet that has been prophesied about and expected from the old covenant. Before the day of the Lord comes, Elijah will appear. And so some people were saying, well, he's Elijah. And others were saying he's one of the prophets. Amongst the people, there was a general consensus that Jesus was at the least a prophet of God. But then Jesus presses the question, and who do you say that I am? And Peter answers by saying, you are the Christ. The Christ, our English word Christ, comes from the Greek word Christos, which comes from the Hebrew word Messiah, which means to be anointed. And in the Old Covenant, there were three offices, three kinds of people that would be anointed. There were the prophets, the priests, and the kings. And especially in the prophets, the focus turned towards a coming king who would be anointed of God. He wouldn't simply be an anointed one. He would be the anointed one. Jeremiah, for instance, says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and deal wisely. He shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And so when Peter said, you are the Christ, what Peter was saying is, is that you are the long-awaited Savior. You're the promised King of Israel. You're the one that the prophets are speaking about. And we can look at that and we can see that Peter got it. He answered the question right. He saw that Jesus is the Christ. He was right. And yet... There was a sense in which Peter still didn't understand what it meant for Jesus to be the Christ. Because when Jesus goes on to explain to them what must happen to the Son of Man, we see Peter living in resistance to that idea. Notice what Jesus goes on to say, the Son of Man must suffer many things. He doesn't simply say, Jesus doesn't simply say, I will suffer many things. He says the Son of Man must. Jesus is not just saying, I know what the future has in store. Jesus is saying these things must take place because they are part of the plan of God. This is by God's decree that this happens. And then he says four things. He must suffer. He must be rejected by the religious authorities. He must be killed and he must be raised from the dead. Jesus says these things, and notice it says he said them plainly. They were said clearly to the disciples. This wasn't something where Jesus said it in a cryptic way and they missed it. Jesus said these things very plainly. 
Sometimes maybe you've had the experience of sitting around the dinner table uh, or at a, a group gathering and conversation is being had and someone says something and other people at the table understood what was just said. And you know a conversation just happened, but you didn't understand what was said. Something got across, a message, and you're still trying to make sense of what is being talked about. Well, here it says what Jesus said was not something that bypassed the disciples. It's not like it went over their head and they said, what was all that about? When Jesus said these things, he said it plainly. They understood what Jesus said in the words. And that's why Peter objected the way he did. He rebuked Jesus for saying that. No, Jesus, the king is victorious. Jesus, the scriptures speak about the Messiah as triumphant. You're the Messiah, Jesus. These things won't take place. Peter had no framework for understanding this kind of Messiah. And so as much as he understood or saw the truth that Jesus was the Messiah, he didn't understand the path of the Messiah. Peter was like the blind man who saw trees walking. He had some understanding, but not clear understanding. But Jesus is in the process of bringing those who had no understanding to misunderstanding, to fullness of understanding. And in time, Peter and the disciples would come to see the kind of Messiah that Jesus is. So that when Peter writes his epistle to the church in Asia Minor, he would talk to them about, you have been ransomed, you have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. How he would speak about how Jesus bore our sin in his body on the tree. He died for sin so that we might live unto righteousness. Peter saw things clearly after the crucifixion. He saw things clearly after the resurrection. He saw them because the spirit made them known to him. Suddenly things clicked. And now God's word took hold of him. What accounts for a person who is living in blindness to God's truth to come to an understanding of the truth? It's when the spirit of God convicts a person that these things are so. To cause them to realize that in Jesus I can be redeemed from my sins. That he died so that I might be forgiven. That what he was doing was the work of God. And that by trusting in him, I am restored, I am reconciled with the living God. That's the hope of Christianity. But it's only when the Spirit makes these things plain to us that we will be able to see them, to understand them, but also to embrace them. And so Jesus' question to Peter and to the disciples is the same question that is brought to every one of us. What do you see in Jesus? Do you simply see a social reformer? Do you just see someone who was an inspiration telling people to live to a higher way of life? That we as a society can improve the way that we live and treat one another? Or do you see the Son of God come into this world to redeem sinners? The Messiah, as Peter himself saw him, and the one who would bring redemption from sin by suffering, by being rejected, by dying and being raised. 
Even the analogy of blindness to some understanding, to full understanding, is something we can see in the believer's life as well. We grow in our understanding. We come to greater clarity. But even in this life, we live at best with some understanding. But we live with the expectation of greater clarity in the future. As we look forward uh, to the, re- uh, the restoration of all things, God's word teaches us, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. There will come a day when believers will understand God even greater, and we will be able to live as we ought, with the joy that we are commissioned to have. That's the hope of Christianity. I was once blind, but now I see. Can you say that this morning? What do you see in Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think over the miracles of Jesus, that it would impress upon us the need of having eyes to see, uh, of having our eyes opened by the work of your Spirit, to be able to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We thank you that Jesus came as the Messiah and that he was willing to fulfill the role of a suffering servant. Go before us now, we pray in Jesus' name.